My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what, what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he is, he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, the, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. Well, 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 it is Wednesday, June 19th, 2019. This is Messiah Matters number 268. 15 minutes late, and all of a sudden, it's a secret show. My name is Caleb Hegg. And trying to figure out what's going on with my computer post-power outage this morning. But thankful it's up and running right now. I'm Rob Fanoff. Yeah, so Rob had a uh, power outage, and now here here we are, late. <laughs> then I remembered that verse says, not by power, yes. but by my might, says the Lord. Man, I'll tell you what, I'm, I've been so busy in the past couple of, uh, couple of, well, I guess past week. A couple of minutes? I don't know, no, week, man. I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I got all sorts of stuff going on. You can see remnants. <laughs> you can see remnants back here. This is, uh, like, I've been trying to dive back into my thesis. Right on, man. No longer my thesis, it's just... Caleb, how many, how many, because I know what this is like, you know, how many different lanes do you have? In your, of of uh, like it's scriptural theological meditation going it, on. It's it's a lot right now. Well, I have, per, so I do. Yeah, that's a good question. I've never mapped this out. I do uh, four chapters of Bible reading a day in my personal devotions. So that's in four, three to four different books. Okay. I do um, an Acts study every day. So I work for about an hour in Acts every day to try to get my notes put together for the weekend. Was for Shabbat prep, yeah. right? Um, I am doing prep right now for the the new podcast that I'm I'm trying to put together. Um, so that's that's more theological issues than and it then is. Then your thesis is another, and then my then my thesis, which is now just a book, is another one. And then I'm I'm also doing a in depth study on prayer. So I'm all over the place. Very cool. It's uh, to be honest with you, it's too much, but um, you know, I'm working hard to get some, some things done. <clears throat> some, you know, and when I say things done, what I mean by things done, I, you know, I, there's just a lot that I want. I see it. There's the vision of what I want to do. I'm not quite there yet. I'm still, but I'm putting all these building blocks together. Very cool. Yep, I, I know how it is. The hardest part is trying to. Uh, have children around at the same time. You're juggling many things. That is true. All right. Well, hey, we got seven people in the chat room. Um, I'm sure that there, I know that there was a lot more people waiting. And then we sent out the announcement that we didn't know if we were doing a show today. 15 minutes late, we start. Boom, here we are. So I think they'll trickle in as we get going. But this might not be a very long show. You never can tell. Okay. Well, should we jump right into it? Well, let's actually put our producers up here first. Um, yeah. 
Here are our producers. And uh, you can write us email, chag at torresource.com. We also have a, um, a phone number, 253-465-3205. And yeah, I still have to change that message. I've said that for like the past eight weeks straight, but you know, whatever. Okay. What about you? What about your theological avenues right now? What are you doing? You got like five papers you're getting ready to, to present, right? Well, I've got the two. Yeah, yeah, it feels that way. Yeah, it's all good. There's, for me, I'm high, I'm what they call high connectivity. So to me, there's all, things are connected. And I think that's, I, I took some tests sometime that said that, that my brain looks for connections. So I guess that's a particular strength that some people have, whereas other people have other strengths that I lack. So, um, but I, on that front, I was uh, thinking, okay, you know, we're going to, Lord willing, we'll be in San Diego for SBL. And I found a session that I want to attend because like scholars that I admire are going to be speaking and they're all reviewing a book, a new book that's out by a scholar named Judith Newman. I think she's at the university of Toronto, Judith Newman. It's called before the Bible. And so I ordered the book and I started reading it and I'm really excited. And even though it has nothing to do with what I am immersed in, in terms of Masora studies, a lot of it will connect over and be applicable. Basically what, what she's arguing is how, how the canon came, she's arguing as how the canon came to be in the Greco Roman era and how there was different Jewish groups that affirmed different books as being authoritative, but she's, she's kind of being critical of the, you know, ways that scholars have talked about in the past is like, um, like it was scribal elite that were just making these decisions and everybody else, they were just getting followers to follow along with them. She looks at it from the angle of liturgy, like, uh, and she uses Daniel as an example. So Daniel in the book of Daniel, he, he's reading in the book of Jeremiah about the how long will exile be and he he prays and he fasts and then he has a visitation from the angel and he still doesn't fully understand everything but but he but for daniel jeremiah was scripture right it was it was a written text that is part of his prayer life and fasting and prayer and repentance you know and all this was part of the world and what, what Judith Newman, at least what I'm getting so far, what she wants to say is that that's the, that's the exemplar of the pious Jewish religious life that uh, work together to build what we have as the canon. In other words, you have someone like Daniel who's, who's believes in God wants to live a holy life and they have scriptures as part of their life. Well, what happens by the time by Yeshua's day, you have different groups that are have prayer lives, but they're affirming different liturgies. Like you have at Qumran, right? They yeah, have, that's a, what I was they have ask. active prayer life, but they're right. they're assuming different liturgies. And all of a sudden that you have this this split off. Anyway, um I I like I said, it sounds obvious. I don't know exactly where it's leading because I just started the book, but I like the approach because she's looking at it from the perspective of the development of a canon in the community of believers that are worshiping God. 
rather than scribes just telling everybody this is what's in and this is what's out kind of thing. Um, anyway, it, maybe in a week or so when I finish, I can tell you much more uh, succinctly what the book is about and how I probably just misrepresented it. <laughs> but but you said what you said about prayer, you know, um, looking into prayer, what that triggered with me in the with the book as well, Judith Newman book, is the idea of what role does scripture play in our life of prayer? And you mentioned reading three to four chapters a day as your devotional, but how often do you just pause and are you just praying, you know, in the midst of your scripture reading? Or do you do you say a prayer before you read? Do you say a prayer after you read? Of course, none of this is fixed. You don't have to do it a certain way. But I think part of that process of the Torah being written on our heart is that in our worship of God, in our rejoicing in, in his grace and salvation, the scriptures are a key part of that. We, if we can't not have the scriptures, this is why the issue of what books are canon, which books are actually divinely inspired is so crucial. If I'm sitting there thinking that I'm having this worship experience and I'm reading, meditating on the book of Enoch, it's not going to, it's going to lead me a different way. It's a different spirit. Yeah. You know, or Jubilees, you know, or whatever it's going to, because instruction, our instruction and edification is part of our character and, and growth as God's children in our worship of him. I wouldn't say that the, the Jews who used Enoch or Jubilees served, worshiped a different God. I don't know if I'd say it that extent, but to a degree, it's, it's just a spectrum until you have Mormonism. Do Mormons worship a different God? I would say, yeah. So how, our picture of, of or our understanding of who God is and the scriptures and our devotional life are super, super embedded or, or twined together. I'll stop now. Thanks for letting me just kind of. No, I, I think that's great. I'm trying to I'm trying to think about whether or not I, I you know, obviously when I hear something like that, it's uh, it takes some time to process exactly the implications of what you're saying. So let me see if I understand what you're saying, or at least the way that you understand the book. Are you saying that, or is she saying that the canon, the, the canonical books, and let's just say New Testament for uh, argument's sake, New Testament canonical books were determined out of what books were used as lit liturgy? She's Yeah, that, that's kind of... The, the approach she's taking is that in, in the Jewish world, we can't separate the worship, the daily worship liturgical place of scripture in the various communities as separate from canon, canon formation. She's, but she's not, she's not taking, she's not trying to be anachronistic. She's not using canon in terms of official church canon from later time. What she's saying is back, if you go back in time, let's say to the, you know, when Yeshua is 20 years old, let's say, let's say we go back to when Yeshua is 20 years old and we travel to all these different Jewish communities, you get out to Qumran, they're going to have a prayer, a heavy prayer life, worship, they're going to fast, they're going to do immersions, and they're going to have a lot of text in their worship life. But, but then you go up to Jerusalem and hang out with Pharisees, you're going to see a lot of the same things, prayer, fasting, ritual purity, consideration of tithing, 
but the and high use of text in their worship. But if you were to then zoom out and compare text, you're going to see different text being used. And so she's trying to say that that we need to see that that the liturgical use of text, even if in communities that disagree with each other, same thing in Samaria. If you went up to Samaria, Samaria, they don't believe in the Psalms. They don't believe in any of the prophets, but they have the, they have a Torah of Moses that they take as sacred, and that's going to be part of their liturgy. I know that you haven't read the whole book, but I wonder. I, you know, instantly, what what I have to wonder is, what does she do with the with the varying lists, Christian lists of the New Testament? Yeah, I haven't got there yet. She's get, she gets into Paul. She even gets into where she says that Paul's when Paul gets uh, uh, collections to send to the saints in Jerusalem, she says that's a liturgical act because he uses scripture to teach why it's necessary. In other words, whenever scripture is used, what's her name again? Judith, what? Newman. There Newman. <laughs> for, the, for the Newman for the chat room. Before the, it's called Before the Bible. I just started. It's kind of spendy. I think I got it for like 50 or 60 bucks. See, that's one, of my big, that's one of my big problems. When it comes to the work that I'm trying to do in the Eucharist. Oh, golly. It's spendy. So, some of the books that I'm looking at, it's like $150. Yeah, that's why you got to go to like go up to UW or go to the library and see if you can do it live, a library loan or something. I got to turn my sound down. I think I'm louder than you. Hang on just a sec. Anyway, so... Check, check, what, check. The, the, reason, the reason I think this is a valuable line of inquiry is that it's it's a, a approach that's different than, oh, there were just this scribal elite that just, you know, decided this for the community and then everybody just obeyed. That which has been a, a popular way of trying to describe what's going on. Do you think that that's a popular way or do you think that's just the uh, popular Christian understanding? In other words, people who are unlearned in the in the pews kind of that's what they assume because I, yeah, I don't i don't know. i don't I, think that good scholars believe that but at the very least it's causing me to reflect and to to appreciate the place of scripture in my life and like i've known people they say they're believers you know they love god but they're they basically write their own spiritual journals and then they just refer to their own spiritual journals they don't actually like actual scripture is not really a part of their spiritual formation. Here's the question. If you're involved in spiritual development, devotion, prayer, meditation, you know, uh, worship, and scripture is not part of that, then what spiritual, what spirituality are you developing? You know what I mean? Not all spirituality is, is godly. Not, so then we have to get it. We have to talk about, well, what is biblical maturity what is biblical spiritual maturity and what is the place of scripture in that and that part of that as it played out in history is to show you know enoch is not part of the canon it's enoch is not divinely inspired neither is jasher neither is jubilees or any of these other books that people are trying to peddle out there as being uh oh they were a these were like hidden books because the some illuminati didn't want you to read them because you know it would teach you the truth, and they're trying to keep you in the dark. That conspiracy stuff is nonsense. It's childish. Love is bigger in the chat room. Asks a question and says, "So, question: Should we be in the?" And I think she means three times a day prayer, like that at the temple time. Yeah, I think that's. A, I think that's a 
obviously it's not mandated, but morning, you know, midday and evening as being um, a good model, a good model. I think it's core why it's and this is good, you know, because the Pharisees and of course the rabbis after them teach about that, that the prayer, particularly the Shema, that which is the core confession is to be related to the, 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 what do you call it? The, the rhythms of the priesthood. Right. Like the very first question of the mission of Berachot 1-1 is when do we recite the Shema in the evening? And it's not, it's when the priests go in and eat the Cheruma, which means it's after priests that were unclean for the day, for whatever, had already had a chance to immerse and be pure. And then they go in and eat their, the, eat their dinner. That's so, so what that means is if we go back in time when there's a temple, even if you're not a priest, even if you're not part of that community, you're aware of the, of the rhythm of the sacrificial life of the temple and that your prayer is in junction with that. And we see that in, in apostolic writings. They say they, at the, the, at the, it was the hour of prayer and they were praying in the temple, right? So there were uh, rhythmic kind of pulses, right? That people followed that we are largely in the West, unless you have, studied you know this Jew, jewish background or this the temple service etc you're not necessarily in tune with that but daniel's a great example and here's the other thing on the daniel point it says he he was the time of the of the evening offering when he was praying so there's no temple it was destroyed he's he's not in the land he's in exile and he's still mindful of the time when it would be time of the evening prayer and that would be local to his time obviously there's a you know the earth being a globe right the time um was according to where his location was i i would argue even though it wasn't evening in jerusalem but it doesn't matter there was when daniel was praying at the time of the evening offering there were no priests in jerusalem offering because there was no temple it was all destroyed anyway that's a, a really good uh point of discussion there daniel rabbit trails you know i feel like we should play some some kind of you know we haven't played any songs la, 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 la. no that, you want that one <laughs> is that self-centered that's not yeah. no education that's self-centered How why do you hate the rob and caleb show Honestly, I think they're vain, stupid, and incredibly self-centered. Okay, well let's uh, let's move on. You know, I was gonna leave the uh, bad words discussion for the for for the last, but let's get to it now since the show is titled "Bad Words," um, and we're gonna keep. The, we were talking about how we can talk about bad words and still keep it kid-friendly. Um, which we will do. Uh, so the question that we basically what happens is every Monday, Rob and I get together for a meeting via Skype and we talk about what we're going to, are you in the chat room? Nope. I realized that with, when my computer crashed, I lost all my notes. <laughs> so I'm, I got, I'm opening my accordance here on my laptop. Nice. Um, basically 
we started having a, and it's interesting because oftentimes we'll talk for an hour. They're planning meetings on what we're going to talk about on Wednesday. However, oftentimes we just re-talk about what we talked about on Monday. We could probably broadcast. <clears throat> However, I, I think that the difference between our Monday planning meetings and our Wednesday show is that there's a lot more kvetching about things that go on, at least from my side of things. It's me moaning and wailing about whatever, and then that's how we decide topics. Um, so, but Rob brought up the idea, do we think that there's, does, you know, do I think that there's such things as bad words? Now, I think a lot of the time in the scripture when it talks about an evil tongue or these kind of things, I think it relates more to cursing, blessings, oath-taking, those kind of things. So the question that really comes up is, is there such thing as a bad word? Now, culturally, obviously, I think we'd have to say yes. There is, culturally, there's bad words. You know, if, uh, now, everyone can think of a word that we think of as a bad word. You know, your kids say it, they get a spanking, that kind of thing. You don't want your kids to hear certain things. I don't let my kids watch movies that are PG without us because I don't know what kind of language there might be. Those kind of things. So we think of bad words in in that sense. However, one of the things that I think everyone notices is that within culture, words change. And we see this phenomenon happen constantly. So what might be a bad word today, and it's regional as well, right? Now, I don't want to offend any of our uh, England listeners as well, because we have people in England that, that, uh, that listen to this show and other parts of the world. So I don't want to say a word that, you know, would be uh, offensive to them. However, there are words in England that are considered culturally unacceptable and bad words that bear no bad meaning here in the U.S. And I would assume vice versa. Um, I think that there are a couple of words that they don't really take as that big of a deal. However, here in the U.S., we, we take them. So it's not only regional, or it's not only time-sensitive, but it's regional as well. Sure. There, in there other are, words, what you're saying is even though in U.K. and then we have you know Australia, New Zealand, America, maybe Canada, wherever English is a one of the main languages, we have the same language. We'll call it English, but the bag of bad words might be completely different depending on where you travel. I want to, I want to make a disclaimer here. By the way, keep it G in the chat room. Anyone who starts using profanity will be quickly kicked out. Um, and that's because we do have children. According to U.S. standards. <laughs> According no, to U.S. standards. <laughs> no, yeah. So, but, so the, ba the bag of bad words. Like, in other words, I have a bag of bad words that I was like, I'm not going to say these words. But then I go to England, and they're going to say, why do you have that in your bag? Okay, so so let me let me uh, now, you know I've I've worked very hard hard on my patience and my temper. Children have been a great uh, a way to work on. The Lord gave me children. One of the reasons that the Lord gave me children was to work on my patience and my temper. <laughs> now, the <laughs> the place that my temper and my patience is tried the most is no longer with my children. It's actually in the car when I'm driving. We, I live in Washington state. And oh, so, my. and so we get, you know, first of all, we have some of the worst traffic in the U S in, in the Seattle area that put aside, 
we have Canada to the north and Oregon to the south. Now, if you're from Washington State, the worst drivers in the world are from Canada and Oregon. And the reason why is because if they drive here in Washington, it's as if they've never driven before. They don't know what in the world they're doing. Because I think that every person in the Tacoma, Seattle area is used to other drivers in the Tacoma, Seattle area, right? Anyway, so one of the things that I often say is, and I'm working on it, I'm working on it, but I'll say things like, look at this jerk. I say that often, right? Now, I used to say, what an idiot. This is in the car. This is in the car. In the, in the in intensity the driver's seat. of traffic. Right. Now, I used to say, what an idiot. Now, my wife said to me, and rightly so, you know, your kids are going to start using the words that you're using. Now, idiot and jerk, not really. We don't consider these bad words, right? <laughs> However, you don't want your kid going over to grandma's house and calling someone an idiot. It just doesn't sound right. So even within our family now, I've had to curb words like idiot and jerk, and now I have to say things like ding dong and coconut. And these are the substitutes that now I use or try to use. So the, so the intention is no different. You haven't modified. Like what? If, <laughs> the intention's the same. Yeah. However, but when you're when you're yelling at somebody in the front seat of a car, you ding dong. It's a little bit different. Right, it's less likely to escalate if you were to verbally, you know, roll down the window and say, "Hey, you coconut." Yeah, exactly. You cut me off, coconut. That's not maybe as escalating. Exactly. As hey, hey, you, you ding dong! You took my parking spot. What are you gonna get? You're gonna get a chuckle. No one's, no one's gonna care about that. <laughs> okay, but you have to tell the story about didn't. Didn't your son say something? Yeah. Well, Ben said to me, I we were pulling into a parking lot and I said, look at this jerk. <laughs> uh, the person had stopped in the middle of the, uh, okay, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I said, look, <laughs> look at this jerk. And my son said to me, dad, you shouldn't use that word because I'm going to hear it. And Kaylee, my daughter, is going to hear it and we're going to start using it too. <laughs> now he's repeating my wife. Sure. Yeah. All wow. this to, all but all this to say Your son is oh he's he sharp. Uh all this to say obviously there are words that we don't want our children saying. Why is that? Well, it's cultural. Some of the words that that are unacceptable today in our time period. Now we've already talked about location, but within our time period didn't used to be words that were considered inappropriate. Now they are. So the question, the real question is, and I know that it's taken us a very long time to get to this point, but the real question is, can culture dictate something that is sinful? Well, here's here's a question I had. And this, this will tie back to what you just asked. Someone asked me this. Are there bad words in Hebrew? And then the follow-up was, and they were telling me, someone told me that, A, Hebrew doesn't have any bad words. Not true. But also they had heard, someone said, oh, it's okay to use. Are we talking profanity, modern Hebrew? Well, we think in profanity because the Bible never says explicitly not to say Wait, certain are, are, words. Are we talking modern Hebrew? Because when I went to Israel, the first no, no, words that I like learned. In the Bible, were, okay, thank like you. in the Bible. Okay. Um, and I thought, you know, this is, a, this is a good question. What does it take 
who determines what is a, a bad word, right? Um, and my thought was this, was to Isaiah, Isaiah 6, right? He has the vision and of the Lord, and he says, uh, Woe to me, I'm undone, right. for I'm a man of unclean, unclean lips, lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And yet I've seen the Lord of glory. Okay, so, and then and then it, uh, it says one of the seraphim takes a... a uh, a brand from the fire. A brand, yeah, and touches his mouth and says, your your sins are atoned. Okay, so the question is this. Isaiah spoke beautiful Hebrew, beautiful, perfect, what we call biblical Hebrew. That was his language. He, he prophesied in it. He wrote in it. He obviously taught the scriptures. He uh, was an exemplar Judean. You know, he loved God, was given visions of Messiah. Okay. But yet he says, "I have. I am a man of unclean lips." So if he's, does he? Does that mean? Is he saying, "Oh, you know," and I just, I just cursed it. The guy, in the donkey in front of me, <laughs> on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to town this morning. No, was he? Was is that what he meant? You cut me off. <laughs> yeah, is that what he meant? Or, or what does it mean to have unclean lips? If if you're already speaking Hebrew, does it mean? Oh, you bear false witness? No, I don't think Isaiah is saying, oh, I'm a sinner and I bear I bore false witness in a court and deserve the death penalty. I don't think that's what he means. Look, is look, it is it a differentiation between thoughts of the heart and then the words of the mouth? Because Isaiah is big on that. He says, look, you you're you people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Where is it an offense to God? And then where what is an offense to man? You know, we have and to I back. care about whether I'm offending God and I, I I need to be not too concerned about offending someone else. Now I if I understand, Paul says, if someone's gonna be offended with uh, if I eat a certain thing, if it's gonna hurt their comfort uh, their conscience, then I, I'm not gonna sit there and just eat it in front of them. You know what I mean? It, it, because that if I knew that was gonna cause them to stumble, we're not gonna deliberately put stumbling blocks in front of people Lark. but on the other hand i can't just i i can't always be worried about other people how they're going to interpret something you know there, there's, anyway, a, there's a lot that needs to be said here because first of all i you know i've talked a lot about one reason community is so important is because i think it helps dictate certain laws now god's holiness is god's holiness but it seems like there is some fluidity within commandments and what I now before the stones start throwing listen to what I'm saying Moses is is ruling everything right and his father-in-law says don't stop doing that what are you doing appoint elders and under them elders and judges and and so on and so forth so within and I'll give you a perfect example when I was growing up I had a, one of my best friends and he's still a very good friend he lives in a different state now but his family had different standards than my family and I won't say the word but his family, his dad often used the word C-R-A-P, okay? Often. And my family, we were not allowed to use that word. That was a word that was unacceptable in our household. Now, we went to a non-denominational Christian I church. I have to have a footnote at some point. How did you learn that that was an unacceptable word in Be your household? But because I said it, and my mom quickly informed me with a, a SWAT that that was not okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> so you learned the rules. Oh, quickly. you learned the rules, rules okay, really okay, quick. Okay. But uh, but at his house, it was okay. In in his house, it was okay. And so they would they would say they would say that word, you know, sprinkled within their their vocabulary. 
Now we went to now both my my friend and I went to the same church growing up. At that church, he was the only kid I knew that was able to say that word without getting in trouble. So, at church and at my house, my friend would not use that word. The church dictated that that was unacceptable in the church. And the families there dictated that. At my house, my family dictated that it was not okay. In his house, he was still able to use that word. So I think that community rules on certain things like this, and I think that those the community rules need to be upheld in, in situations like that. Um, am I... Am I- it, it, okay, let's say I abide by that rule. Let's say, Caleb, I, I, we, you and I go out and we have a beer and there's people there that aren't believers and they're, they're what we would call like super foul-mouthed. Are, are we holy by not using that language? Yeah, I think that's what, I think that's what holy means, set apart. So, we, we are so set apart words, from we, the we world. We can still interact. And we're not saying, oh, I can't believe you're talking that way. We can still interact, but we... Um, I don't think it's up to us to tell people that their language should not. I mean, certain language, taking the Lord's name in vain and whatnot. I, I, you know, it's interesting. I went fishing recently. Well, not recently. This is three years ago. I went fishing with two guys that I grew up with, right? Now, one of them I know really well, and he owned the boat. We went out. The other guy I hadn't seen in 20 years. And he used, he used the Lord's name in vain. And he turned to me and said, oh, I'm sorry, Caleb. Why are you sorry to me? That's why I, I said to him, I said, don't be sorry to me. I'm, I'm not the one. You didn't use my name. There's someone else you need to be sorry to, but it's certainly not me. Right? I mean, I remember when I was a teenager, I had a thing at work. My boss and I, we were like, we'll just defend someone else's God. We'd say like, Buddha. <laughs> nice. Nice. Anyway, um, but the point is, is that there certainly are words taking the Lord's name in vain is obviously against the Bible. Now, there's one other aspect to this conversation that needs to be brought in here. There is a lively debate among scholars whether or not Paul uses profanity within the scriptures. And I think right. I think there's a very good case that he does. He uses now you brought up the, the fact that he uses a word that would be likened to dung but more harsh. And I think all of our parents who are listening to this show know exactly what word we would be uh, referring to there. Yeah, Philippians 3, yeah. And he also uses, in two different places, he uses a very harsh word that means homosexual. Um, It's a lot more harsh than homosexual. He uses it against homosexuals, which I think is very interesting. In other words, he's taking something that is, I think, profanity of the time. and And he's listing vices. You know, right. he's listing uh, sin, transgressions. Right. But the, but the point is, is that he's he's turning it around on people who perform the act that he is describing. Right, and he's not he's not using it as an adverb. He's not saying like, "I'm burping hungry," right? Correct. He's not using it like as a to emphasize like some my parent or shock he's not using it for shock value or as an adverb my grandfather who was a preacher one time said to me people use bad words because they have because they lack vocabulary that's your dad's dad yeah 
In other words, if they had a wider vocabulary, vocabulary they, would use, they would be able to express themselves differently. I don't think that Paul had a, a lack of vocabulary. I think that what he's, his, his intent in the words that he's meaning, now the, the debate among scholars is whether or not at this point in history, the word that he uses for homosexual is actually yeah is actually a bad word at that point in time. Now they know that at certain at certain points in time it was a bad word, whether or not it was then or not, that's the debate. But I think that Paul is using it uh, very poignantly. In other words, he's he takes the word, he applies it exactly to the people that it should be applied to. And I don't think he has any uh, apologies for it. And the same with when he uses the word dung, right? Now, we know that there are other things that, even in the Torah, words are substituted, right? One word is is written, another word is said. And it's not just the Tetragrammaton, the, the sacred name of God. Um, there, there are other, and if you ever uh, listen to my father's course on hermeneutics, he talks about this. He talks about the words that were uh that no one wanted to hear in synagogue right you don't want to you don't want to say these things from the pulpit in church right so i mean in, in the same way there there the early rabbinic tradition preserves passages of scripture that were not to be translated into aramaic for the people in other words they would read it but it would not be translated uh, and the in specific passages in the Torah, like, you know, I think one of them's like what Reuben did, you know. Look, uh, let's let's just say this, <clears throat> you know, I I I've talked about my uh, my testimony before. The Lord saved me from some some uh, some serious offenses, not only uh, against Him, but I think just offense, you know, the way that my life was. He brought me out of darkness. There's no doubt to, uh, about that. Part of that was my my vocabulary. I'd say. Um, and when I came, you know, when the Lord began to draw me, that was one of the things that was one of the first things that I tried to start doing was change my vocabulary. And it's one of the first things that people noticed. That's real. That's really good. I'm glad you shared that, Caleb. Yeah. I remember times cause I similar probably to you, you know, I grew up, I didn't use bad language in our home and then, um, I remember I had a job once and everybody was talking a certain way. And I remember like put, just trying it on. And it was like, <laughs> probably, it was probably sounded, like a new suit. They probably, they probably knew that they're like, Van Hoff doesn't even know. Like, like, and then I remember feeling like, Ooh, like I felt dirty, yeah. you know, like, why did I, why did I need to, to do that? You know? So the, there's something to be said about, obviously in the scripture, integrity of heart. And the, one of my favorite verses at the end of Psalm 19, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Okay. I think that if, if we have that as a foundational uh, understanding to what it means to have a new creation heart in, in Yeshua, to have a heart of worship before the creator of the universe, that, um, that we're, we don't have to worry about whether or not, you know, we're not just going to automatically use a bunch of profanity. Um, and so, and, and also if someone, 
uses profanity, it doesn't offend me either. If I'm anchored in, if I'm walking in the spirit, it's not like I'm, I just take, you just offended me, you know, or if, if I'm getting super offended at somebody else's language, then that's, I think that's more work I need to go do on myself. You know, I need to go pray about that. And it shouldn't trigger me. Let's look at what the scripture says. You know, the, the the passage that my mother always used to quote to me. Now this, I, I'm going to read a different, uh, a different translation, but the translation that my mother always quoted to me was coarse jesting. Okay. Ephesians three, uh, I'm sorry, five, three through four, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or nor foolish talk. And that's coarse jesting nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Ephesians five three through four. This is, and, and that saints there, that's kedoshim, that's holy right, ones. Right. That's the set apart. Holiness ones. is right. Yeah, right. That's great verse. Ephesians four twenty nine. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it, it may give grace to those who hear. Proverbs twelve eighteen. And then we could get into the question of does Proverbs set up halakha or is it just wisdom? I believe it's wisdom, but that's a conversation for a different time. Uh, so Proverbs twelve eighteen, there is one whose rash words are like swords, uh, sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And Proverbs twenty one twenty three, I could have pulled many proverbs about uh, the tongue, but Proverbs twenty one twenty three, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. So, yeah, right. Right. And that gets into, it might not even be, you're using profanity, but just opening, you know, saying something when you shouldn't, you know? So, so obviously no, we're, no one's questioning the fact of scriptural's high, of the scripture's high, uh, bar for purity of heart, purity of speech, wisdom of, uh, uh, of choosing words carefully well, I, uh, James, you know, that's, a, that's, a, James, that's an aspiration that we continue to. And James talks yeah. about the tongue being able to lead. In other words, if you tame the tongue, you tame the entire body. Yeah, and he says, "Who's done it?" Right. He says it's, it, it can't be, a be perfect tamed. man. A, a we, person we, who tames the tongue is a perfect man. We bless God, and then we turn and we curse, curse a man. You know, and and it ought not be that way. So James doesn't say that he's never cursed himself. What he's saying is that this he's just saying, look, here's the mirror. Right. Here's the fact of the matter is we we have unclean lips and we dwell. We're no different than Isaiah. And it ought not be that way. And so we can if we can agree that and then we again, then we encourage one another and we we, we don't hold. So what is biblical love then? Encouraging each other. Forgiveness, not holding grudges against people and believing the best of of people you know believe other believers and in their own growth and development not like oh you i can't believe you know you're so foul-mouthed you know getting we're not necessarily you know called to get into that type of uh thing in my view i agree we you know we've gone 45 minutes we started 15 minutes late we could go another 15 minutes but i think that this talk on leadership qualifications could be longer than that and i don't want to rush it we've talked a lot about um about community I've said that I think, you know, within the uh, the various Torah movements, there's a lot of missteps that have been made 
But I think one of the biggest ones is a lack of uh, emphasis on Torah communities. I had a footnote on this, and we can we use we can maybe talk about it more next week. But I had someone ask me, it's a lady who has kids, and the husband's not involved in religion, and she's like, "Is it okay? You know, is it okay for me to teach scripture to my kids?" And to and I'm like, "Absolutely, yeah." She says, "Well, what about the Bible where it says you know women are not supposed to be teaching?" And I said, "I said okay, you know." Oh, let's we could talk back. about that. Let's, we could, we could talk yeah, about we, that. Um, you know, the, I I think that that's very specific teaching with authority. What, what in a communal, the, like regular institutional type of situation? Versus I and I quoted Proverbs too. It says, "Remember the Torah of your mother," right? Right. And at the end of Proverbs says, "The Torah of kindness is on her tongue." In other words, she's the Asha Chayil is teaching Torah to her children. You know, and then I remember Timothy, Timothy's grandmother and mother taught him scripture says you've known scriptures from your youth and that and so um, have we ever talked about whether uh, women in leadership that's a that's okay there's our next show right what are leadership qualifications can women be leaders so Um, we could extend it into that so anyway i think uh here's the other thing back to the tongue what if i just think it in my heart but i don't actually say it right what's it is there a difference do i still I, here's my, my conviction on that. Is it the thought itself, even if I never say it or do the, the thought, I'm, we're, t- we're called to take every thought captive before Yeshua, right. before Messiah. And that means it says, <clears throat> Lord, take the, this is, you know, let this be a weed. Let's, you know, I pull this weed out and throw it away. No, you know, this does not belong in, in my heart, in this new heart that you've given me. You know, and so that happens before the verbal verbalization actually uh, occurs. So th- th- there's th- there's one last thing that we could we could look at here. When I think to myself of truly godly men and women that I've known in my life, I can't think of one of them. I can't think of a time that I've heard any one of them use pr- foul language. Now, there you go. That's that observation alone. Now, the other thing is, is that when we like, and then people on the contrast, how many people in the world do you know that use foul mouth? Well, so so there's people on YouTube, right? The swearing preacher and whatnot, right? And the, I mean, these guys are very foul mouthed, and they they try to preach. It's I mean, it's irreverent. I've I've never seen that, so I'm don't look it up. But the point is, is that. When you see these guys, the first thing I think is that is not a heart that has been given to Christ. Now, is it because of the language? Yeah, I think some of it is. They're not set apart from the world. So I think that every the average believer, if they mark themselves, if they're not marked as set apart in some way, and I think if they mark themselves as being able to just in and out of the world whenever they want, there's something wrong there. Now I'm not saying that anybody who says a, a you know a word that is considered to be a, a curse word or whatever is is uh, you know not a believer. That please don't hear me say that. Every once in a while, there's you know I'll. No, you've already made the point that the the bag of bad words is gonna the contents of the bag is gonna change depending on where you are. You might accidentally. You might accidentally hit your thumb with with a hammer. No, let me I mean, tell you. Let me England. tell you. 
if I admit it, you know, there's possible things that don't, I don't know. <laughs> All right. It's been a good conversation. I'm sorry that we, uh, that we came in so late, but it's been a, it's been a fun conversation nonetheless. I'm glad Rob got everything working and, uh, that his, uh, you know, that he doesn't need a new computer. That would not be cool. Um, yeah, I guess we'll be back next week with a super controversial topic of should women be leaders in the Ecclesia and what qualifications do we have for leadership in the Ecclesia? Um, it's a great question and it's one that I think a lot of people shy away from. Um, okay. Well, as always, we hope that this short conversation has done one thing and one thing only, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior. Why? Why? Well, because Messiah matters. <laughs> <laughs>